Welcome to the Shoreline Community Church Podcast, a community of love, acceptance, forgiveness, and belonging. For more information, be sure to check us out online at shorelinecc.com. Today, we're uh, continuing our series, Prepare the Way, and week two, if you're here with us last week, we talked about how provision requires preparation. Everyone say that. Provision requires preparation. And we talked about how provision without preparation, it just increases problems. We need training, we need equipping to go how to do it. And this week, as we continue reading and looking at the life of John the Baptist and his mom and his dad, we're looking at how as we prepare the way, we're going to encounter something that we don't want to encounter, but it's going to involve dealing with doubt, dealing with doubt. So, Father, we pray today that as we look and as we dig into your word, Lord, we know your word is it's a sharp sword that uh, defends us, but also shapes us and removes things that need to be removed. Your word is also a light that guides us. So, Lord, whatever the work is you would do, if it's the work of a surgeon that's removing or if it's that work of a light that shines the way, do your will, amen? Speak to us. We want to hear from you today. So Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable and be anointed by you, we pray. And everyone said together, amen, amen. So first of all, doubt, it's, it, it accompanies preparation, and I wish that it didn't. I wish that I could stand before you saying, I've never had doubt about anything in my life. Anybody, you've, you're like, what is this new word doubt you're talking about? What does that mean? You know, doubt, we, we know that doubt is a normal part of our lives, and we all deal with it. And I think a lot of times, we're almost kind of conditioned for it. There's so much information today, there's so much overload, and at times it's like we, we almost kind of naturally doubt some sources, right? Just, I mean, just, just because it comes from, from a news source, does that mean you fully trust it? Or just because it comes from, you know, the internet, or wherever your sources are, we kind of have this, we've been kind of conditioned towards doubt, and trust is pretty rare, but... Doubt can also be an indication that we are engaging with something new, that we're engaging with something that is, is beyond us, it's, it's bigger than us, and, it, and often it's something new that God is doing that's greater than us, because if it was within our means, right, instead of doubt, we would have confidence, we'd be like, I can do this, you know, I can do that, I, I can take it, and there's no need for doubt, but then God does something new in our lives, and all of a sudden it's like, God, I don't know if I can do that which God's response is, no, you, you, on your own, you can't do that. It's only through Christ. But when we are going through things and we're doing these things, often fear can come in and, and there's risk involved and risk makes us vulnerable. And as a result, doubt comes in. <laughs> and this is what is happening. When we look at Luke chapter one, this is what is happening with, with Zachariah. See, in the beginning, Luke, he begins the gospel with the account of the father of John the Baptist, which is Zechariah. And when you look at Zechariah and his background, you know, Zechariah came from a great background. He was the member of the priestly order of, of Ab Abijah, and Elizabeth was from the priestly line of Aaron. So this was a husband and wife that they, they grew up in this. They grew up serving the Lord. They grew up having, ha having parents who served the Lord. They, they knew what that was all about. And Zechariah and Elizabeth, they were also short, part of a, a short list of people in the Bible that God intentionally calls out as being faithful to him. Read this with me. This is Luke chapter 1. Let's read this together. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey 
all of the Lord's commandments and regulations. I mean, it made me think of Job where, you know, where God is like, have you considered my servant Job? Can you imagine him looking at you and going, man, have you considered my servant Steve? He's a great guy. I mean, what an endorsement. Isn't Steve a great guy, by the way? It's just, you know. <laughs> and it's, you know, you know, Steve, I was thinking about your song, I'm going to the King County Jail, as Chuck was, <laughs> was going through. So <laughs> next time we'll, we'll, we'll do that. But see, but Zachariah and Elizabeth, though, they had this great uh, background. They had great parents, and they grew up around it. They had an unfulfilled desire in their heart. Zachariah and Elizabeth, they wanted to have a child. They had prayed to have a child. And while today those that have struggled with infertility, and my wife and I, we've shared our story about our struggle in our, in our, in our early years. In biblical times, this had an increased weight to it because in those days, the worth of a couple, especially the woman, was in her ability to have children. You know, in these times, you know, the, the many medical reasons for being unable to have children that we know today were unknown back then. So if a couple was unable to conceive, it was often deduced that, well, there must be sin in their life, or there must be something wrong, or this is a judgment against God, right? I think that's why the Lord, in his great mercy, as he begins this account, he begins with those words, and saying, just to make things clear, there are Lack of a child doesn't mean their lack of faithfulness to me. Isn't it good of the Lord to do that? To say, you know what? The enemy would try to come in and take advantage of you now, but I want you to know, I am well pleased with you. I am well pleased with you. Maybe that's for someone here today. But even so, because they're up in age, they're beyond the age of being able to have a, have a child, at least Zachariah had given up on this desire. And he'd fallen it, and I think he gave up because he fell into a trap that many of us fall into. It's a timeline trap. Have you ever had the Lord say something to you and you feel like God's spoken to you and he says something and you're like, well, that means that this month, this week, this day, the Lord, he's going to fulfill it. And then he doesn't. And then time goes on. And we move from this month it's going to happen to this year it's going to happen to maybe before I get to this date. We have this timeline where, like with Zechariah, God, if you're going to give us a child, it's going to happen before I reach this age when people normally stop having kids. And then when that passes, you're like, maybe I misheard God, or maybe God changed his mind, maybe I did something, and doubt comes in. Because these are reasonable requests. I mean, it's reasonable to want a child when, when you're younger and you have more energy in your life, Right? Although, I've never seen anything give energy to a grandparent like a grandchild. <laughs> they outdo me. But Zach Rye, he'd fallen into this whole thing where, you know, God, if you're going to do it, you would have done it by now. And what happens in this, the longer it goes, the greater the doubt, and the greater the frustration and the disappointment. And it made me think of this great quote by leadership expert John Maxwell, where he, he describes it this way. He says that disappointment is the gap that exists between expectation and reality. Read that with me. Disappointment is the gap that exists between expectation and reality. And I did up a little graph for you that kind of looks like this. I think we've got it up there. Do you have that great piece of artwork that I created? I'm great at boxes as long as I've got a box maker. But this is what it looks like, right? We, we have this expectation, right? God spoke to me. I have this wonderful desire to do it, but we have this reality that just seems way out there where it's not quite happening. And the longer that that seems, 
the bigger that gap happens, and we find ourselves in this gap, there's an expectation, I'm, I got this reality, and I'm kind of going back and forth, and the more that we straddle this, the more that doubt comes in, and disappointment comes in, frustration comes in. See, this is the natural trajectory. Disappointment will often lead to doubt. We doubt ourselves. we doubt our friends. We'll start doubting our church, the body of Christ. We'll start doubting everybody around us. And there are so many people that live in this gap. And the longer it goes, the wider it gets until we don't even think about it anymore. We've, just, we've given up on an expectation, a word that the Lord has given to us. And we need to pay attention here because the result of living in this gap, as we'll see from the life of Zechariah, is that doubt will eventually silence us. Doubt will eventually silence us. This is the result of living in the gap. It causes us to give up on God, to give up on ourselves, to give up on others. And in our silence, we can even become blind to what God is doing. And this is what's happening to Zechariah. Since God didn't move when Zechariah expected God to move, that even though now history is about to change, the gears are moving into place, the 400 years of silence, the intertestamental period that we talked about last week, all these things are coming together. God is moving by his spirit, but Zechariah, he's not seeing it. He's still living in that gap that we talked about. But the goodness of God is that God knows about our blindness. God knows about our doubts. God knows that he needs to make it very clear. And as we walk through how God made this clear today, I want you to kind of invite the Holy Spirit to say, Holy Spirit, are you speaking to me and I'm not hearing? Are you showing me something and I can't see it? Because I'm telling you, there are so many things that I've headed into with great doubt and things have happened and it's almost like I was kind of pulled through and I look back and go, how did I miss that? That's why the Lord gave me a great wife. Because here's what happens. It says in Luke chapter 1, verses 8 to 9, it says, one day, Zechariah was serving God in the temple. For his order was on duty that week, as was the custom of the priests. But listen to this. It says, he, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. And I want you to pay attention to what's happening here because this was a great honor to be able to go into the holy place. This was actually a once in a lifetime opportunity for any priest. See, each division of the priests, in addition to serving for all the festivals, they were assigned two weeks out of the year to serve at the temple, performing all the different functions. But still, out of all these priests, it was only a handful of priests each day that were selected to go into the holy place, into the sanctuary of the temple. And with thousands of priests out there, and with all these things taking place, and with there just being a lot where they would select them to go in and to, and to, into the sanctuary to offer incense and, the, and to bring the bread of offering and to fill the lampstands with oil and all these things, this was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And Zechariah had been a priest for a long time. This once-in-a-lifetime opportunity comes up. Do you think that's chance? God is trying to get his attention. And not only that, not just like Zechariah, I'm doing something special for you today. When Zechariah goes into the holy place of the temple, he encounters this message from an angel. An angel shows up to him. And not just any angel. 
the midst of his blindness, in the midst of his doubt, he's walking faithfully. And he's just trusting the Lord. With all this stuff, he walks in and God sends him an angel, but not just any angel. He sends him the angel. This is Gabriel. How many have heard of Gabriel before? This is the archangel. He's in the holy place, faithfully serving. Angel shows up, scares him, which is a normal response, right? If Gabriel showed up in your house, I think you'd be a little scared too, <laughs> right? And God sends him, and here's what it says in Luke chapter 1, 11 through 17. And man, this, this ministers to me. Ministers to me. It says, while Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear. Yes. <laughs> but the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. And he says this, read this with me. God has heard your prayer. Now say that same thing, but say my. Say, God has heard my prayer. Say that again. God. Father, we thank you for that. I, I can't move on. <laughs> Just knowing that you've heard my prayer. You've heard their prayers. Thank you, Jesus. And then he says something. He says, your wife Elizabeth will give you a son and you are to name him John. And he said, you will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. This is the answer to the prayer. He says, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. This is Gabriel, the voice of God, speaking to the priest, Zechariah. He's answering your prayer, and this is going to be John. He's going to be great in the eyes of the Lord. And he said he must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. How powerful. This precious baby being formed. He will experience the power of the Holy Spirit even before he's born. And he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. Just imagine Gabriel shows up and speaks this over your child that you don't even know about yet, and he speaks this amazing things. I mean, what an encounter is taking place. Zechariah, a filling once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. The Lord brings him there. He gets him alone. Gabriel shows up. He says all of this and Zechariah misses it. <laughs> he misses it. He's so filled with doubt, so filled with disappointment. Look at what Zechariah says in Luke 1.18. He says to the angel, how can I be sure this will happen? <laughs> now, I laugh because I've been there. We can be armchair quarterback and say, why didn't Russell Wilson just run the ball? I'm bringing up old trauma, I know, but, you know? In the moment, all of this happens. He says this to Gabriel. He goes from fear of the angel and just awe and wonder to, how can this happen? I'm an old man now. My wife is also well along in years, and I'm like, are you kidding me? 
You're standing in the temple, the holy place. Everything's happening. And it's almost like he says, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm too old. Uh, thanks anyway. This, is, this, this has been great. Uh, I'm too old. She's too old. You know? And he moves on. And he misses it. But I want you to see God's great mercy. Imagine what he would have missed. But I want you to hear me today because God's will will move forward. And we see throughout scripture that his will is not held back because of our lack of faith. Now, if we don't step up and move in, he'll use somebody else, but his will will go forward. But there's an opportunity here. Because God's will will move forward. Because 2 Timothy says, even if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. Numbers 23, it says, God's not human that he should lie, not a human being that he should, that he should change his mind. He doesn't change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? Because there's a moment coming up here where his lack of faith, his doubt, has repositioned him out of what God had for him. So God's getting ready to teach him and to snap him back. Because here's the thing. God loves us too much to ignore it. So God will always deal with our doubt. And in this situation, God, he pulls out this amazing plan to deal with his doubt. Because God's not surprised by our doubt. God didn't pick Zachariah because he knew that, you know what? He's going to see it. He's going to know it. He's going to walk in it. He didn't pick me for that reason. He didn't pick you for that reason. He knows everything you're going to feel. He made you. He knows you. He knows the challenges that you're going to hit. He's not surprised by it. He's beyond us. No one can understand this. We struggle with forgiveness. God doesn't struggle with forgiveness. But he's so great that we need to keep in mind that when it comes, when God speaks, the psalmist says that great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. Job said the thunder of his power, who can understand his thunder? And Isaiah says, my thoughts, they're not your thoughts, neither my ways. Your ways, declares the Lord, as high as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. What that means is that no matter how far we can see with any telescope on earth or it's orbiting in space, we cannot see God's ways. They're beyond that. And I want you to know today that God, he doesn't ignore your doubts. He deals with them because if your doubts are not dealt with, if my doubt is not dealt with, doubt will be the controlling factor in our life and everything that we do. That's why James 1.6 says, let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a what? A wave of the sea, tossed, controlled by the wind. See, doubt will destabilize me. Doubt will confuse me. Doubt will get me off track where I no longer even know what I believe or who I believe or why I believe because doubt is just there. So what does God do? He teaches Zechariah. Brings him in. Brings Gabriel. But he deals with his doubt by silencing him. Literally. Imagine that. This is a priest. This is a man of God. The one who God declared to be righteous. See, he, he loves Zechariah enough that he's like, Zechariah, 
I'm going to use you, but you need some preparation to be the dad of John the Baptist. So in other words, he literally silences him for nine months because he needs to lay hold of what Psalm 46 says. Read this with me, Psalm 46.10. Be still and know that he is God. Just close your eyes and say that. Be still and know that he is God. See, we want shouts. We want pomp and circumstance. And the holy place with Gabriel, that's a pretty good showing. And that wasn't even enough. So he silences him because it's in that silence, that stillness. I mean, how many times through scripture, right? There was the wind, but he wasn't in the wind. It was in that little whisper, that part that makes us lean in. See, when we doubt God, we need to be still in order to see him. That's why oftentimes when I talk to people, both, both new believers of Jesus as well as those who've been serving the Lord for decades, they're like, man, how do I hear God? I'm like, be, be still. I mean, how do you do it listening to people who shout at you? Right? Like if I, if I got in your face and started shouting, what would you do? You'd probably go to Stephanie and say, what happened? You would not be listening to me. You'd be going to deck our board president and say, I think Pastor Duane needs some help. We don't listen to shouts. We turn off shouts. But just like a child, I had, you know, as a dad, how many dads you, you, you shouted before? Okay? I, I'm sad to say I have. I'm sorry, kids. But I had, I had one that it was just not working. And I was like, God, help me to communicate. I'm tired. <laughs> know what I did? I got that on my knee. And Steph was frustrated too. And I whispered. Know, know what he did? He came right in. And I had his attention. We listen to whispers. I mean, after all, people say, there's so many things in my head, there's a self-talk going on. The greatest thing that we give attention to is our own self-talk that nobody else can hear. It's the whispers we pay attention to. And so God gets with Zechariah and he silences him. This is a big lesson for us. And it made me think about that, you know, when you are in a fog, and I'm talking about a literal fog, right? So, like, one of the things I'm preparing for, I'm trying to prepare to do these big trips, you know. Uh, I, I love sea kayaking and there's so many wonderful things. But one of the things I talk about is fog preparation. And when you're out in a kayak, you're the smallest vessel out in the ocean, out in the sound, wherever you are. And when the fog comes in, the secret to surviving that and getting out is not to paddle harder, faster, and just get out of there, right? That, if you're going the wrong way, you're gonna, it's going to say, welcome to Japan, if you make it that far. What they'll tell you is that when the fog comes in, that you, you're, you're quiet, you're still. Because you've got to figure out where you are. And you've got to figure out where you need to be. And they'll tell you to just be still and start listening. Because when you're in the fog, you're listening for, are there any waves that are going up on the shore? Okay? I need to head to shore. You start hearing, if there's a Washington State ferry that can't see you. 
they win. They don't see you. I talk to boat captains. They're like, Pastor Dwayne, kayakers are like a piece of driftwood out there. We don't see you. Don't tell Stephanie I said that. <laughs> so what do you do? You're quiet. You listen. You still yourself, right? And then you look to your map and to your compass. I mean, the map tells you what's going on around you. The compass tells you how to get there. I mean, if there wasn't a better illustration of the word of the Lord, it tells you who you are, it tells you what's around you. And the compass, that Holy Spirit that just leads you and guides you. See, every seasoned kayaker will tell you, be still, open your ears, look on it, and trust it. I mean, this was the wisdom that was spoken through King Solomon. When King Solomon said in Proverbs 3, he said, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not in your own understanding, but in how many of your ways? All. (laughs) In all your ways. Acknowledge him. He will make your path straight. And he goes on to say, don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. Read that last line with me. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. I receive that, Jesus. That's why as we look at this whole aspect of how we deal with doubt and all these things, that Jesus, as well as in James, it connects the importance of faith. Jesus said, truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree that he just cursed, He said, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. How much faith? The tiniest seed that you can't even see. Well, what is faith? Well, Hebrews 11 says that faith is the substance. It's strong. It's the substance of things that we hope for. And faith is the evidence of things that are not seen. So how do we get this faith? Paul said in Romans, faith comes from what? Hearing. When the Bible talks about hearing, it talks about being still. Because there's a, there's, there's a lot of voices in your head. There's a lot of voices in my head. Okay? Constantly churning, speaking. But Paul's clear. He said, faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. That's why when someone talks about hearing the Lord and distinguishing the voices, I... I tell them, read the word of God, memorize the word of God, meditate on the word of God. If you hear anything that contradicts this, does God change? No. Does he contradict himself? No. The Bible is the living, active, breathing word of God. It is without fault. No book in the course of human history has been vetted and challenged and proven like the Bible has. That's a whole other class. I can point you to those. It is true. But for faith to come alive in us, because Jesus said just the, just the size of a mustard seed, we have to move, we have to take obedient steps of trust with God. Because James says, for as, as the body apart from the work is dead, so faith apart from works is what? Dead. That's why I love, if you need to be encouraged, if you need someone, someone just to kind of speak the word of God with faith and just with that, just kind of going, man, Dr. Tony Evans. How many know Dr. Tony Evans? Oh, 
man, the urban alternative, I love Dr. Tony Evans because he speaks with this authority and this anointing and the word of the Lord. And I heard him once talk about this. And what he said, he said that we don't need more faith. We need more feet to our faith. That when God speaks, we step out in faith. We walk in faith because Jesus said all you need is the faith, the side of a mustard seed. Now make sure it's Jesus, Right? But when the Lord speaks to you and he gives you something, we need to start taking some steps. We need to start walking and say, God, what would you have me do? That's when faith comes alive. That's why when we talked about sharing your faith, there are people coming back to me saying, I've never done this before. I'm bringing Bibles before. And I'm like, how does that feel? Going into it, they say, it feels like fear and I shouldn't do it. But when they do it, they're like, wow, what is this? It's faith coming alive. It's the power of God coming alive. That when we step, we know it's God's will, the great commission, that we would go into all the world preaching the gospel, baptizing. And when we take steps, though we don't feel like it, and we share the love of Christ, and we stop and talk to somebody, whether it's bringing a quilt to the hospital, or talking to somebody across the cubicle, or someone that we pass with a sign looking for a handout, and we pause, and we share the name of Jesus, there is a power of God that will fill you, because that's his mission, and he always empowers his mission. But you have to step because he can send Gabriel and just like Zechariah, I'm no better than Zechariah I can miss it but we need to step because here's the thing if you feel bad about doubt today or the enemy's been giving you guilt about doubting things and things that are happening look at John the Baptist filled with the Holy Spirit in his mother's womb empowered by God baptized Jesus. When Jesus was baptized, heard the voice of God, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Here's Jesus, the Messiah that he recognized, and the Holy Spirit descending like a dove. He was there. He said, I'm not even worthy to tie his sandals, baptizes him, and then down the road, he ends up in prison, and he sends his disciples to say, is this the one that we've been looking for? Luke 7, it says, John called two of his disciples in 19. It said he sent them to the Lord to ask them, are you the Messiah we've been expecting or should we look for someone else? Think about that. Everything he saw, the miracles, the provision of God, the power of God, and yet he sends them out. Are, are you the Messiah? The one we've been expecting or should we keep looking for someone else because I'm in prison, Jesus. This is not working out for me, Jesus. And even John the Baptist got doubt. But as the worship team comes, I want to wrap it up with these verses in 21. And again, think about the graciousness, the love of God. Because it would be easy to say, man, if John the Baptist is not getting it, who's going to get it? But here's what it says. In 21, it said, at that very time, Jesus cured many people from their diseases, illnesses, and evil spirits, and he restored the sight to many who were blind. And then he told John's disciples, so here was his response. It could have been, I mean, it could have been a hammer. <laughs> but he said, do this. He said, I want you to go back to John and tell him what you've seen and heard. The blind see the lame walk. Those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. He didn't say, I've told you enough. 
didn't say you should know better by now. But once again, he said, John, I want to remind you of something. Look who I am. I'm the healer. I'm the one that opens the eyes. I'm the one that opens the ears. Essentially, he's saying, John, I know you're in prison. And I think part of it was to teach his disciples in that moment to say, you know what? Just as I suffer, the disciples, they didn't want Jesus to suffer. Because if if they were Jesus, they would just be like, forget that. Jesus came, he died, he gave it all. Not to take away our suffering. Though he has healed me, I was going blind as an elementary age kid, and the Lord healed me. I've seen people healed. And I've also seen people that have prayed for decades. Jesus came for our soul. That whatever our lot in life, wherever we find ourselves, we have unexpressible joy that comes from the fact that we have a Savior who loves us. In the middle of our doubts, he's with us. When we're in that gap, Jesus comes in and he stands in that gap and says, let's move. Let's move on. It's patience to get to it. Or sometimes he just places us in it. But that's his role. That's his job. He sees it. His ways are higher than my ways. But he loves me enough to deal with my doubts and say, don't give up. And I think that's my encouragement to you because I know, I don't know all of your stories, but I know a lot of your stories and I know you're going through stuff. I know the enemy would try to come in and just put doubt and try to get you off path or to try to get you to compromise or there's a tough decision that you're like, if I make this decision, God, that you've told me to do in your word, it's not going to be easy. And Jesus is like, no. That's why being a follower of Christ, if anyone wants to be a follower, what do we have to do? Deny ourselves. But there's no life like it. That's why the disciples, after the infilling of the Holy Spirit, there was this new confidence, there was this new boldness. But lives were being changed. People were coming to the Lord. And so my prayer for you today is that in the midst of this, you would take your doubt, you would bring it to Jesus and say, Jesus, speak, your servant, I'm listening. Help me to be still and know that you are God. Help me to trust your word in the middle of the fog that I'm in. Holy Spirit, be that compass that leads me and that guides me out. And give me the strength in the moment, wherever I am, to trust and obey. Amen. Would you stand with me today? And if that's your prayer, just lift your hands as a sign of surrender to the Lord and say, Lord, speak. I'm listening. Lord, guide me in this fog. I give all my doubts to you knowing that you understand. We love you, Lord. But you know, just as faith without works is dead, I know there's a faith that takes place when you leave this place today. But I want to encourage you and give you an opportunity. Respond in some way that will help you walk from this place stronger. So, Lord, I pray now as we respond to your word, give us the faith that accompanies obedience to walk and be changed in Jesus' name. And everyone said together, amen.